Gracious Father, thank you for your blessings to us that are fresh and new every day. We ask that your spirit might visit us now and and, uh, instruct us, bring us into closer relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All righty, we're number three. And uh, what I want to deal with today is primarily the Declaration of Independence and the Third Angel's Message. And uh, let's take a look for it. It's going to be primarily the first angel. Uh, let's read Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. And that'll be our anchor point. Uh, the, uh, we've mentioned before that the United States, I believe, was set up by God in order to get the last message of the world to go from here. And in Revelation verses 6 and 7, it says that I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So that's kind of our outline that we'll be considering. We'll go to other places too, but we've uh, a little bit of uh, review. Uh, we've talked about the Declaration of Independence and notice that the, there's a time frame from eight, uh, 1776, uh, the, the Declaration, and then you have the Constitution presented in 1789, the Bill of Rights in 1791, and we talked about 1844 was the beginning of the three angels' messages, or the third angel. The first one started about 1840. What we're going to concentrate on is the Declaration of Independence and the, third angel, or the first angel's message that we just read in Revelation 14, 6, and 7. And, uh, but a review from yesterday, we talked about justification by faith and liberty of conscience in the United States Declaration of Independence. We read from W.W. Uh, Prescott where he said that uh, um, there was an unpalatable... Oops, I'm doing something. Is that increasing it? <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, let me see if I can get out of that. There we go. He wrote a, an article on uh, dealing with the Holy Spirit, but he, he mentioned something in that called the unpalatable doctrine. And uh, just uh, just review what the last part of what he said. He said, the time will soon be here when it will be practically as unpalatable a truth to tell them, this is Babylonians or those who are, are, consist of Babylon in the last days, that there is life and salvation only in Jesus Christ to tell them that they do not know anything about justification by faith. And that's a pretty strong statement, but he was dealing with some of the things that were happening in his day. And, Still today, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. We spoke about the first uh, first department message of Luther and the reformers, and the, the central point was justification by faith or the gospel in Jesus Christ. And along with that, Luther said that the very the essence of faith is liberty of conscience, and uh, that then in the the um, transfer from the first department to the second department, uh, 
during that period of time, 1770, well, after, after 1844, you have the Declaration of Independence and the, the three principles that we looked at were life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, going back to Luther again, justification by faith and liberty of conscience, the SDA church has been raised up to present justification by faith and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the light, the light that's shining comes out of the second apartment. Up until 1844, all light came from the first apartment. And when there's a transfer of Christ's last work, the light that now shines is justification by faith, liberty of conscience, freedom, freedom of thought, and uh, uh, pursuit of happiness. And we, we noticed yesterday that before you can have the pursuit of happiness, and it is a pursuit, it's not happiness, <laughs> it's a pursuit. But before you can have the pursuit of happiness, you must have liberty. Before you can have liberty, you must have life. And before you can have life, you must have justification. And that's what we looked at Romans 5.18, that by one act, one act of Christ, all men were uh, given justi just justification of life. And we'll consider that more today. So, as I mentioned, I've already said this, pursuit, pursuit of happiness, before that comes, there must be liberty. And I've st stated it so we won't read it again. But um, this is what we looked at yesterday. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. This is foundational. And we need to remember that the United States of America is an unintended consequence of justification by faith. It came from the Reformation. There are many, there are many of these things. And I, if we have the time, we'll go over some of the history in France, and Germany, Holland, Britain, and the United States, because all of these were were the uh, consequence either of rejecting that message or accepting it. And God was working on a corporate level as well as on an individual basis. And uh, in the uh, Declaration of Independence is one of those things that we believe that was God-ordained. On July 4, 1776, Congress voted the acceptance of the Declaration. Here's a list of the signers. I can't. There are 56 men that signed it. By the way, I'm, I made a mistake yesterday. It's the first one I've ever made. You believe, now, don't laugh. If you, if you don't believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you. It's called the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge. But I mentioned that, that uh, the uh, oldest man who wrote, or who signed the declaration was 46 years of age. And, and that was wrong. The, the, uh, the average age was 44. Now, I didn't take into, into account, uh, forgot all about it, um, Benjamin Franklin. He was 70 years old at this time. And there were others that were uh, older than that. But, uh, um, and then I, I think I mentioned that uh, um, Jefferson was in his 20s, but he was 33, still a young man, as he wrote. He was the one that furnished the first draft of the, of the Declaration. But, uh, and this is something I, I got... Um, and I'll read it, and I'll give the source afterwards. While none of the members of the Continental Congress was actually tried for treason, 15 who signed the Declaration of Independence had their homes destroyed. Four were taken captive. One spent the winter of 76 in the woods, pursued by British soldiers who had burned his home. 
Before the end of the Revolutionary War, many of those who served in the Continental Congress suffered direct personal consequences of their support of American liberty and independence. They knew that if they failed, they would be hung as traitors. This, this was a charge that King George had leveled against them. And uh, I read one, one of them, I don't remember which one it was, but uh, the American soldiers had cannon directed at a home and it was uh, one, of the, one of the men who signed the declaration. And they said, we, we, don't, we don't dare shoot, we don't need, uh, dare to destroy this. It had become a headquarters, one of the headquarters for the British Army. And so they said, well, let's talk to the man who owns the place. He came, he looked, he said, shoot it down. <laughs> and so they blew it out because they, he, he felt it was worth doing that than letting the British have an advantage point. And that's, that's what happened. But many of them... Uh, died nearly in poverty. They gave everything they had. They, they, had they, were, they were ready to die for independence, for a corporate independence in the United States. And it wasn't even the United States at that time, but they were coming together of these colonies. And, uh, but in the Declaration, there are five references to God as the creator of man and um, the supreme lawgiver, the source of all rights, Supreme Judge of the world, and as far as uh, he was our protector on whom we can rely. These are all brought out in the Declaration. By, by the way, I would encourage you to read the Declaration. I remember listening to one man. He said, we ought to read this every day. <laughs> it's not very long. It's just a short document. But it's got principles in there that are eternal. There's no doubt that God had his hand in it. Now, many of these people... We're not, we would not call them evangelical Christians. There were some. I think there was one Catholic, uh, several Baptists, and, uh, but some of them were deists. And they believed that God created everything and then he went on a long journey and just let the laws of nature take care. But they did believe in a supreme being and they believed that God had established the, the situation to where they could, uh, to where they could uh, um, establish the United States of America. So the Declaration of Independence, along with calling the supreme being the universal of the universe creator, he is also called God and the supreme judge of the world. And most certainly the framers of the, of the Declaration believed in God. They recognized that his Declaration of Freedom was based on his protection and his governance, and uh, particularly so in regard to his ordained universal natural rights given to all human beings by reason of creation. When he created Adam and Eve, he gave them the ability, he gave them life, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. It was there in the beginning, and that's what was lost when Adam sinned. We'll get into this uh, as we consider later. It is of interest to note that the everlasting gospel message that we just read at the beginning, the first angel's message, message of mercy to the world, sets forth the same truth as does the Declaration of Independence. Both present God as judge and creator. The message of mercy first began to be proclaimed about 60 years after the Declaration was signed. Those who drafted the Declaration and those who signed it testified to the same self-evident gospel truths about God as creator, lawgiver, redeemer, protector, and judge. It's all, it's all there in the Declaration. Because of this supreme self-evident gospel, truth concerning God 
the other truths of the Declaration regarding the rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, all are certain and they're inalienable because they are given to us by the author of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The everlasting gospel message for these last days must and does, and does include these God-given rights of life and liberty, which includes freedom of conscience. This is going to be the vital um, issue in the last days. The Sabbath and Sunday are outward extensions of this, but it's going to be over liberty of conscience or the denial of it. And uh, this is where it's going to, this is where it's centered. Um, but provisions of the Declaration of Independence and later in the Constitution and its amendments reflect the truth of creation of man in God's image. So if we consider the first self-evident truth set forth in the Declaration of Independence that all humans are created equal. Do you believe that? Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> it was God's intention for sure. Um, this was the case with, with uh, the first man and woman on earth. This equality is illustrated in the creation of a woman from man's side. Have you, ever, have you studied that? Of why, why did God take a rib? Why didn't he take a toe bone or a finger bone or a head bone? <laughs> There's something there for us. <laughs> One of equality. Um, here, a woman was not created from a head bone signifying dominion, nor from a foot indicating inferiority. This is a lesson from there. Yes? Well, what about those who say, well, Adam was first? And that, that's, well, he was first. That, that indicates... To, Not superiority. To some, to some people, that yeah. indicates that that is, you know, that the side doesn't matter. It's the, it's the order. Yeah, well... But then the same day, all the animals were created before man. That's right. So Adam's out from that standpoint, isn't he? <laughs> if the animals were created or first... Yeah. Later is more important than even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good point. Men are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the families. That's true. There's no doubt about that. That was lost also. Yeah, he should have been. It should 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 have been. Should be. Now it was it was with man's fall that dominion and superiority entered and has remained within the human race. The practice of eugenics. Are you familiar with that? Started in about 1909 in the United States. And it means the production of good offspring that comes from the theory of evolution. Darwinian evolution supports the philosophy of eugenics and racism. Are you aware that the actual full original title of Darwin's famous book promotes racism? and eugenics. Uh, this is what this is of the origin. By the way, this book, the manuscript of this was written, was finished in 1844 yeah. of all years. <laughs> it wasn't published till 1859, but it was, it was done by 1844. And it was entitled On the Origin and of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the struggle for life. This concept was carried out in Germany. But it didn't start with Germany. Well, maybe parallel. The United States was involved in this. 
They were practicing eugenics in the late 1900s, or the earlier part, but 1920s, 1930s. It wasn't until they saw what was happening in Germany that the United States began to pull back from this. And, but I'm hearing it again now. They're talking about eugenics, and that means eliminating, huh? Okay, in, in, in Germany, it was elimination of the Jews because they were an inferior race. The Germans were the, were the highest level, and they were going to breed it out, number one. Uh, number two, then they decided to eliminate the Jews uh, because they were a threat to the pure Gentile blood. That was the idea of it. Infanticide. Pardon me? Infanticide. Yes, infanticide, yeah. Uh, even, you know, this the whole issue of... Uh, uh, Planned Parenthood, this came out of the evolutionary theory. Abortion. This is where it comes from, yes. How was it applied in the States? How was eugenics applied in the States? They did it by castration. They did it by making women, certain women, um, not able to produce. And so they thought this would be the way that they could get rid of uh, inferior people. This was the whole idea behind it. It's still that way today. What? It actually happened. Here in the United States, as well as Germany. Now, America backed away from it in the 1930s because of what they saw in Germany. But we're coming back to that again. What? Who's the black race primarily. The black race primarily. Yes. I understand that the policy of where they could live was uh, restricted. In other words, blacks could only live, were, were only allowed to live in cities, and usually they lived in places close to dumps and, and just unhealthy environments. Yeah. And that was part of the, that's why we have the, so many of the blacks that are in rural, in, Urban places. Somewhat, yeah. Way, or control, yeah. Yeah, that's the way it was set up. There are politicians who want to keep um, whites that are have problems mentally or physically, want to keep them down, but also the, the black race. It's still with us. There's, no, there's been no change in, in, the, in the principle. But the Constitution and the... the uh, it, it goes against it. In fact... I was going to do this. Maybe I will before this is over with. Uh, starting with Theodore Roosevelt, I think I mentioned this earlier. He was a Republican, and uh, he was pulling more power to himself as the president. And every president since him, whether Democrat or Republican, they've all wanted center power in themselves. The president that was in the early 1900s, Woodrow Wilson, despised the Constitution. He said so publicly. He wanted it changed. It was inferior to his great intellect and others like him. He was an Ivy League professor and, and uh, president of one of the Ivy Leagues, Princeton, and then he became president of the United States and carried on those same principles. In fact, if you've heard in the news in the last couple of months, I think it is, where there were students that were demanding that uh, all of his the images, statues, and things like that should be pulled down from Princeton. So they're struggling over that right now. But it's because of his, the principles that he was enunciating when he was a president. While he was president, before he became a president, 
there were blacks in the White House uh, doing different jobs. He eliminated all of them, not by destruction, but he kicked them out. Uh, this, I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a bad note in history, but it goes against the Constitution. When you get against the, go against the Constitution, go against the Declaration, you will end up in that same thing. Um, and it goes back to justification by faith in Christ alone. Because he's the one who sets us free. And if he sets you and me free, we need to set other people free. It's liberty of conscience. And these are the principles that we're dealing with. These are the principles that the three angels' messages are dealing with. Not just theory, not just doctrine. <laughs> but this is where the rubber meets the road. Yes. The ultimate rejection of justification by faith would end pretty much in um, you know, evolution. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I believe evolution was the, uh, the devil's method of destroying the three angels' messages. There's no doubt about it. There was evolution before that time, but it was solidified when he, uh, when he put this thing together. And uh, it's, it's being followed. Now, there are many scientists who do not believe in him. But they don't dare let go of him <laughs> because he laid the foundation for modern day, uh, modern day uh, ev evolution and practices. Yeah. But we need to remember this title. <laughs> the last part for the preservation of in favored races. races. Yes. In the struggle for life. Um, in the book's full original title was On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation. And in 1872, the, this was the sixth edition, on was omitted so that the full title became, as we already read, the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favorite races in the struggle for life. This is the front page of that, of that book, or the title page, I should say. Um, then um, today it's, it's known as the origin of species. They don't give the full title. <laughs> they know if people would knew, understood what it was about, I'm, I believe they would turn from it, just from the title itself. But the principles are outlined in the book, not just outlined, they're given in that, in that book. Now, within two, de two decades, there was widespread agreement in scientific circles that evolution with a branching pattern of common descent had occurred. Advantage taken over others has been the horrid history of humanity. Not just with whites, but the blacks in Africa were enslaving one another. Uh, the Spaniards were enslaving the, uh, enslaving the Indians in America and some of their own people. The Arabs were doing the same thing. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is all you've got. You have to have dominion. You have to have people under you to serve you uh, so you can be more highly exalted. That's the purpose. The work of justification by faith is laying the glory of man in the dust and then doing for man what he cannot do for himself. And that's the purpose of the message that God has given to us. But after thousands of years of this behavior, and this, was, this has been building for some time, but was never uh, stated as a strong doctrine, doctrine until after uh, Darwin. Darwin began to do his work. Um, but they dared, under God, to establish... A this, these are the uh, ones of the United States. They dared to establish a nation that would declare and reflect the Creator's design of equality among men. 
Now, some of these men did not follow this practice because they were slaveholders. Some of them tried to eliminate slavery at that time, but it didn't happen. And uh, I think there were some good ones, some good uh, slave owners, and there were some bad ones. There's, there's no doubt about it. But um, in fact, when the Emancipation Paper was signed, signed by Lincoln, uh, there were some that some slaves decided to stay with their masters because they had, a, they had a, a good living, a good life, and that type of thing. Most of them decided to leave, and it was really hard on them. But they still, they, 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 uh, they're very close in, in principle to the signers of the, of the Declaration. They would rather die than to give up their freedom. Uh, Gary, yes. isn't it true also that some of them didn't actually believe that they were set free? There were some that were set free at that time. Yeah. Yeah. What Christ did for us. Yes. It was just so overwhelming they thought. Yeah. And didn't believe it. Yeah. But most of them either chose, like you said, the master. Well, I don't know about most of them, but but some did. Yes. I was just thinking about what you're saying there, and Ellen White had been chosen, but she was not first been chosen, but a black man. That's right. In that time, would have been really unusual. Yes, yeah. although yeah. although he had a lot of popularity, uh, he was in the northern northeastern states. There was still there was uh, symp- at least sympathizers there uh, for slavery, but uh, he uh, there's no doubt God raised him up. He still he remained faithful to God even though he stopped having visions and, and he, he was proclaiming them for a while and he he stopped doing it. Um, but he continued to pastor, I think, a Baptist church, if I remember correctly, until he died. So he was loyal to God all the way through. There was another man who was a relative of Ellen White's who received a, a vision, and he refused to give it. And one time he was standing outside the door when she was giving her first vision, and he told her, he said, that's the very vision that God gave to me, and I, have, I refuse to do it. I'm a lost man. And she, he said, don't turn back from this, you know, that type of thing. So, but there were, so there were two, two men uh, were called before Ellen White. And he says, I'm going to call the weakest of the weak to demonstrate what he could do in, uh, in fallen nature. And thank God for that. Uh, now, our constitutional forefathers followed the identical order of the self-evident truths of creation, which are life, then liberty, followed by the pursuit of happiness. In their order, you find these in the Declaration of Independence. And it must occur in that order. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The right to life must be first, for without this, the other two are impossible. The pursuit of happiness must follow liberty, for without liberty, this pursuit is meaningless. These basic liberties are inseparable and are in the order as presented in the Declaration. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness were given to Adam when he was first given life. And so, when this new corporate nation was given its right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, these foundational liberties from creation were embodied in its existence, just as it had been given to Adam in the beginning. God, God has always worked with a corporate people. Always. Adam, the word Adam means man or mankind. Both Adam and Eve are called man, by the way. <laughs> but over 500 times, the, the same word that's, where Adam is called a personal being, over 500 times it, it's used as man or mankind corporately. Uh, 
And, uh, but anyhow, because Adam chose to disbelieve God's word, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were lost, not only for himself, but also corporately for the entire human race. And we would have been lost had it not been for Christ. Yes. So that right there goes back to the whole Adam thing. He was the one who was given the right to say the final say. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, I mean, he could. He had to make a choice. He he chose. It was a willful choice on his part to follow Eve, right. um, and he became responsible because he was the he was the head of the race, right. and when he made that decision. Uh, he, well, the idea was he'd rather die than be separated from her. God could have raised, God could, he would have saved uh, uh, her had she responded to him, and he would have provided another, another wife uh, for Adam. Uh, or they could have lived together, I would imagine, but it would have been, <laughs> been pretty miserable for both of them. And I remember, I think I shared with some of you guys here, I had a, a friend whose daughter, this just came to my mind, we've got to share it. Um, she left, left uh, God, left the church and everything. And a few years, few years later, she called me up. She was close to where we were living in Pennsylvania. And she said, would you marry us, marry my, uh, my boyfriend and myself? And I said, well, tell me about him. And she, he was an admiral's son. And no, not into religion at all. And I said, well, let's go out to eat some night. <laughs> so we did. And we sat down, and, and as we were eating, I looked at him, and I said, you know, if you marry this girl you're going to be the most miserable man in the world. <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, and here's the reason. I said, she was raised as Seventh-day Adventist. I know her family. I know her dad and mom. And I know that when she, you start having children, she's going to long for Sabbath school for those kids, and she's going to take them. She was over go, <laughs> going like that. <laughs> so I knew that was on her mind. And I knew she wasn't going to convert this guy. He was, he, he was on a track to be a, a leading uh, admiral. Uh, or he was, he was the son of an admiral, but he, that's the track he had chosen. And uh, they got married. They did, they, they did marry. And I told them, I just conscientiously, I said, I cannot. But uh, they were married in the Catholic Church. And she asked me, she said, would you, would you uh, help in the ceremony? And I said, sure. <laughs> and so the priest did all the, the legal stuff, and then I introduced them as a husband and wife. But I, did, I made a point. You know, I said, you know, this is, you're entering your honeymoon, but six months later, that's when you're going to know when you're really in love. <laughs> when you wake up in the morning with, with a hairstyle, not as you with the bed the night before, you know, that type of thing. And she grabbed, reached around, grabbed my hand, and squeezed it. <laughs> so, by the way, they are divorced today. I knew it. I, I was reasonably sure. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen, but I was reasonably sure it would, would uh, happen uh, that way. And thank God that I, I hope she came back to the Lord. Okay, so where are we at? Yeah, the entire human race, corporately. Adam was the corporate head of humanity. What he lost, we all lost. But God was not caught off guard. As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. This Savior is also called Adam. He is the second and the last Adam. Jesus is now the rightful corporate head of the human race. But there was a severe conflict to establish who would be the representative of the human race, either Christ or Satan. <clears throat> the devil claimed that he was the head of the race, as in Job. Remember when he came? God said, where are you from? 
He said, well, I'm from the earth, walking up to and fro on the earth. That meant he was in charge of, of, the, of the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, he, he, he attacked the, the character of Job and of God. You let me at him and he will curse you to your face. So God says, you can have whatever you want to do to him except take his life. And he couldn't, couldn't make him do it. And that's going to be the condition of God's people in the last days. The devil will not, for, he'll not be able to force us to turn from God so long as we're depending on Jesus Christ alone. Now, when this, after this happened, the battle was still going on. Then Christ came on the scene as a human being. And you're familiar with, with uh, the battle in the temptation wilderness where the devil came to Christ. And he says, if you, are, if you are the Son of God, command these stones, make them into bread. You're hungry. You need, and there's no doubt, Christ needed something to eat or he would have died. And so that was a horrendous temptation. But he had to overcome that because that's what Adam, where Adam and Eve had fallen. And so when this happened, Jesus replied to him, not as God. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's a direct quote from Deuteronomy 8.3. We'll look at it in a little bit here. This is from 4.4. Jesus answered the devil and said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3, God humbled you, speaking to the Jews, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, would you like to know what that word man comes from? Adam. Adam shall not live by bread alone, but Adam lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is living by faith. If we live by the word of God, we're living by faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. 8.3. Yeah. It's a direct quote from... Uh, uh, from there that Jesus used. So Adam lives by faith and he, he became the head of the race officially in that wilderness temptation. Had he failed there, it would have been all over with. It was a thin line, but he decided to rather die than eat what the devil had suggested. And consequently, the whole human race has a chance for eternity. Now, there was mind against mind the mind of Christ against the mind of the devil. And uh, this is going to be the same in the last days. If we have time this week, we're going to look at some of this too. I've got more on that. But, um, but we need to remember that Christ became the Savior of the world. His mission was to restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for every human being. And this is whether, whether a person accepts him or not. He, certainly he's got eternity in, in his uh, look, but if a person does not follow him, does not accept him, they still have life, and they still have liberty, at least where the gospel has penetrated uh, other nations of the world where they have that. Not all, not, not all are that way, uh, and they, but those who do can pursue happiness. There, yes? And we know that that's accomplished because men, men are alive. Yes. They all that's right. Just going to the cross that went out to all humanity. 
That, exactly right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was. It was a corporate. Uh, he was a corporate head of, of humanity. I know that when Ellen you know, White says that the statement that Satan says, "If you are the Son of God," um, but there's another statement that Christ gives the reason why he understood that this was not sent by his Father. You mean the, tempt, the temptation, temptation of Lucifer? Yes. That, yeah. yeah, that was not, a, God did not do it, yeah. Yeah, and it's in, the, it's in the parable he gives in, in chapter 7. And he says that, uh, you know, he talks about asking you shall be given you, seeking to find, uh, <coughs> everyone who asks and receives, will, seeks and finds, him will be open. Um, what man among you, when your son shall ask for a loaf? Okay, yes, good. <laughs> uh, shall give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will not give him a what? A yeah. And yep. it says, then you being evil, know how to give good gifts. How much, how much more, more. Uh, your father who is in heaven gives those gifts. In other words, he yeah. knew his father so well that he knew that that would not possibly, that could yes. not possibly be uh, an angel of light giving yeah. instruction. Yep. So long as he depended on that word. That is yeah. our instruction. That is our yeah. lesson is that we need to know God so well that we can see yeah. the difference between good and evil. Yeah. By the way, that that last the last uh, verse that you read, that you being evil know how to give good gifts to your, uh, if you know how to do that to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I ask that promise every single day. It's a good one. There's two, two of them, I think. I mean, that one and the other is surrender your will. And as soon as we surrender our will to God, He immediately takes possession of it. Whether we feel like it or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I know, but that's uh, it's a fact. exactly now it costs Christ his life to give us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. First John four fourteen, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of Seventh Day Adventists. <laughs> the entire world, not just believers. Every man lives today because of Christ, what he's done for them. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved at all. It looks like the majority will be lost. But it's not because of something that God he, did not do. Gives, and that extends to believers in this fact, as many as believe are received, to them yes. the power. So eternal life is attached to that, that you'll believe that Yes. Christ said, "If yeah, when we believe, then we begin eternal life right here. The life of heaven is amazing. Uh, there's another one. I think maybe before I read, read it, let's go to chapter 4 of John. Uh, there's one verse, uh, verse 24, that I was going to read, but I think we'll read it last. First you remember, John. pardon me? No, John. No, th yeah, this, uh, this is First John, but I'm going to look at John, the Gospel of John. The background of this, you remember that Jesus was at the well needing something to eat, by the way, or something to drink. Chapter 4. And as he was there, uh, waiting for the disciples, they had gone into town to get some bread, <laughs> and they, a woman came to draw uh, water. And uh, Jesus asked if she would give him a drink. And she was surprised. And then she finally when she finally saw that she was losing the discussion, she said, well, our father, <laughs> Abraham, that type of thing. And Jesus was very pointed with her. He says, well, uh, Israel is where salvation is located, not here, not on your mountain. 
And she was so shocked after, well, she said, uh, uh, she, she had to go and call her husband. Uh, Jesus said something about her husband, and, uh, or she did. And he's, he knew that she'd had about eight, and so she took off. She was under conviction, and I believe she was in the process of conversion because she went back and told her testimony, even probably to some of her men friend. And so when Christ came, uh, he came into that city, um, Let's see, chapter 4, and let's start with about verse uh, 39. It says, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. <laughs> this is something he could not have said even to the Jews <laughs> because they believed that he was the Savior only of the Jews. But they spread this thing out. They said, oh, they, what Christ told. I'd like to have been there on that Bible study when, you <laughs> when he shared that with them. Pardon me? Yeah, there's another another good one. Yeah, those, that was a two-hour study. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's come here to First uh, Corinthians. Since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's not just a believer; that's everyone. He's talking about the second or the the. At the end of the, well, when Christ comes the second time, there's going to be a resurrection of the good and the evil. And the only reason that can be is because of what Christ has done for them. That means they, they will stand and stand and face the judgment. Of, they'll be responsible and accountable for the things they've done in the flesh. And then Paul says in chapter 11, verse 3, I want you to know something. <laughs> this is what he wants us to know. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. That means the non-believer also. We can go to someone and tell them that Christ is your head. <laughs> He's the head of the race. And he came to save you. So Christ, the last Adam, is the head of humanity, and the all of humanity is in Christ in this sense, that he is the head, that he died for all men, and that if people will allow him to do so, he will save them eternally. Yeah. There are many people who go outside of Christ. They don't want any part of him. And this is from Ellen White. In assuming humanity, Christ took the part of every human being. He was the head of humanity, a divine and human. With his long human arm, he could encircle humanity, while with his divine arm, he could lay hold of the throne of the infinite. This is volume one of Selected Messages, 252. So I got this, um, <clears throat> um, I must have gotten, I'm not sure where I got this, but I thought it was interesting. You have all these heads of people uh, showing that Christ is the head of, of every man and woman. And as we already said, we already quoted that. Now, I want to go to Romans chapter 5, because this is what deal, where it deals with the two Adams. And uh, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through, how many? One, One man, sin entered the world. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. Then you have a parenthetical statement from verse 13 through 17. 
Paul breaks off his argument here. He makes a statement and doesn't finish it until you get to verse 18. <laughs> and then he repeats what he said uh, in verse 12. Verse 18, the first part, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. In principle, it's the same thing they said in verse 12. He's bringing these two thoughts together as one. And this is called an anacolution. It's a, it's a figure of speech where the sequence of a thought is broken off. It is not, it's not finished until you get later on in the article. And uh, that's, what, um, that's what Paul was using here. And here's, this is the clincher of uh, his argument. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And as yesterday we saw, this led, leads to life. Then you have liberty and the pursuit of a happiness. This is the bottom line of justification uh, to give us this. This is it's really incredible. The free gift there actually goes back to verse 17. Yes. Which is the free. gift of righteousness. So Christ And also came, the gift of grace. Yeah. The gift of grace. Yeah. Christ came to give us his righteousness. Yeah. And that's a free gift. We yeah. can have his righteousness, not just to cover us, yeah. say, but so that we can live it yeah. in our lives. Yeah, exactly. He, 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 well, he does cover us, but he, he abides within us. Yes. And that changes us yes. from the inside outward. Yeah. The believer, yeah, those, yeah, yeah, believe, that's right, yeah. But um, let's see, this but is. In his faith, then, is the separation between those who are saved and those who are lost. No, which, which was that? I'm saying. The separation between those who are saved and lost are the, are the ones who believe, accept the free gift, yeah. and the others don't accept the free gift. Yes, I'm exactly. Born, yeah. They still have life, and they can still have um, liberty. They still, they still have life and liberty here. Here, right? temporary. Yeah, not eternal. But, not eternal. Uh, yeah. Because of yeah. unbelief, they don't have it. Right, yeah. yeah. If they turn and believe, immediately they enter yeah. into eternal life. But yeah. most people do not. Did, did I see another hand there? If I, see a, if I see a hand waving, I think people want to say something. So. Uh, okay, so that's that one. Now, here's the, NA, the uh, New English Bible. I don't know if you finished that. Yeah, well, it, yeah it's the same. It's the same one. Uh, it's the, well, it's all together. Therefore, as through one man's judgment came to all men, one man's offense, that resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And the uh, New English Bible says, so the issue of one just act is equal and life for all men. <laughs> so that's a, a legal aspect. So yes. I was saying that you know, because of Adam, all were condemned. Yes. And then, and then because of Christ, all were justified. Yes. The yeah. condemnation was lifted. Yeah. yeah. So that means yeah. that before I was even born, I was justified. Yeah. Yes. Legally. I would say legally. 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 Yeah. But, yeah. I, still but have, not, I still have that to... Recognize that. I think so, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I believe this is what God raised the Seventh day Adventist church up for to understand justification in all of its well, dimensions. I know, I know, but well, some, are, like some are learning. Now, let's see, I had, a, I had a hand back here, and then, uh, Monty, I think you were next, and then, yeah. Just in response to the brother, I believe appreciation for what you just said is the matter of. 
and a growing appreciation for the fear. Uh, and, uh, yes. and we need the conversion of the But it's just grabbing me what the brother said at the front that it's the fact that Christ made us all righteous in Him, legally declared us righteous and made us righteous in Him before we had all the life. Yeah. That even gave us, was the foundation for giving us the life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so everything goes back to the happiness that was in which Absolutely, yeah. In, in fact, everything we talk about, whether it's sanctification, justification, glorification, is all in Christ right now. And that's the line, light that's shining from the second apartment. That's the message that God has given to us. Yeah. Well, you, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, for, okay, yeah. I didn't say that. But, <laughs> well, there, in, the, in the Bible, New Testament, there are three tenses. It says you have been saved, you are being saved, and you shall be saved. Now, was Christ the Savior of the world? Did he save the world? That's the question. We read, well, we read two, two verses that God sent him to be the Savior of the world. That doesn't mean everyone's going to accept that salvation. As I mentioned earlier, the majority of people throw it out. They don't, they don't want any part of it. But God's work is for the human race, not just for a believer. He's, but he's trying to get the non-believer to accept what he's done for them. And, Legally, legally, there's there's a legal aspect and there's an experiential aspect. The legal aspect, well, Re- Romans five nine says we are justified by the blood of Christ. It actually says justified in His blood, original original language. That doesn't mean that everyone is going to be ultimately saved. We're not talking about universalism. Um, but there's the experiential aspect that when we believe, then Christ comes by the Holy Spirit, dwells within us, and changes us. And that, so it takes it takes two aspects: what Christ has done for all men, and what He's done for us personally. Yes. Um, just a couple of comments here. Um, we're told in the Desire of Ages that there will be people that will be in heaven that have never heard the name of Jesus. That's right. They really never yeah. heard the gospel, but because they yeah. lived up to all the light that God gave them in nature, yeah. and then through the Conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life, yeah. because the Holy Spirit's everywhere, that they'll be in heaven. Yes. Um, and then somebody mentioned, uh, you know, faith. Of course, faith is important. We have to accept that. The only exception to that uh, would possibly be babies who uh, mm. have not been able to exercise faith. Mm. And uh, I, I wondered, um, you know, I, I know that there in Exodus 12, where the parents put the blood on the two side posts and on mm-hmm. the other doorposts. Mm-hmm. It was the faith of the parents that saved any baby that was inside that home. Mm. And so is that how we're, the best way to understand this, the, the whole aspect of babies? Or I know that, I know that um, you know, I'm pretty sure Ellen White says that there will be some babies in heaven that their parents are. That's exactly right. So I, 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 beyond the yeah. faith of the parents. Yeah, I don't want to get into babyology. <laughs> but babies are involved in all men and women, are they not? Was Christ the savior of a baby? Yes. yes. Just like you mentioned about there are pagans, heathen are going to be in heaven who have never heard about Jesus. 
Oh, that's going to be a tremendous time to see you, to be, to be there. Eyes big. <laughs> they had never heard Jesus. He's the first person they see as a, as a Savior. What a time that'll be. What a time of rejoicing. We need to be there. Yes. That are have not heard Christ, they do not know Christ, but the Lord has been able to work in their for surrender. And they don't know the name, they don't yeah. know the doctrines. Exactly, yeah. There will be many people who have accepted Christ in the last days who do not know all of our doctrines, but they know Jesus and they, they're following, they'll go to death rather than turn away from Him because the principle of righteousness is established in there. I know that there are. Um, well, people I know, uh, Bible, they, they go to Bible church and they, they believe this statement that no other name under heaven by which men will be saved other than Jesus. Mm-hmm. In other words, if, if somebody has not heard the name Jesus, they yes. cannot be saved. I know that. I, I know I said, that. well, wait a minute. Yeah. What, about, what about the thousands of years of Native American Indians who have been living on, you know, these are <clears throat> created beings that God, you know, are you saying that they are, and they also believe in eternal hell? Mm-hmm. Is that even fair? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he, okay, yeah. Well, but he was a preacher of righteousness. <laughs> yeah. Not, but Jehovah, uh, this is related to Jesus, and he is the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah our righteousness. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so he had to preach about God's righteousness, because Christ was the God of the Old Testament. What is the text that says that uh, Jesus is, God has given Jesus the power to save anybody he chooses to save? Uh, John 6, um, 6.10, where it says that everyone who comes to me, the Father has given me, um, I shall never cast out. That's the one I'm thinking of. I may use that. I don't know about the day, but... Uh, it's 37, yeah. It's also in chapter 10. Yeah, it's 6, uh, 6.37 is where the one I'm thinking of. Uh, but uh, anyone who comes, who responds, Christ said, I will hold them by a hand that will never let go. Wonderful. Gary, another one is uh, John 1, 12, 13. Ready to proceed to them get the power to come to okay. the yes. names of three false births. A lot of people don't know there's three, there's other false births, it's not real. Bone of blood, oil of the flesh. Well, yeah, let's not get into that. I'm not, <laughs> uh, in fact, yeah, we need to go on. <laughs> uh, again, the New English Bible says, it follows then that as the issue of one misdeed was condemnation for all men, so the issue of one just act is acquittal and life for all men. Now, the pursuit of happiness, as we mentioned before, depends on liberty. And liberty depends on life. Life depends on the second Adam's righteous act in dying on Calvary. He gave his life that we might receive his life. And that's justification of life. And all men has received temporal life. Not all men have received eternal life because they do not believe. But they're alive. And so long as they're alive, there may be hope that they'll accept Christ. And I think that's one of the reasons God has put off the second coming so long. There are many people that will respond yet. He's waiting for us. (laughs) Now, uh, Romans 5, 16, we're gonna, uh, 15 and 16, we're going to look at some ratios and proportions. Do you remember studying this in grade school or maybe high school? <laughs> this is tremendous. Um, verse 15, it says that maybe we ought to read it. Uh, we're going to run out of time, I'm sure, but we'll continue tomorrow. Oh, my, it's time already. Do you know that? 
Wow. Three minutes. Yeah, I know, but the others. <laughs> All right. Let, uh, let, let, let me look at this. Um, there'll be an assignment for tomorrow for those of you who want to come back. <laughs> One sin, the many died. One gift of life abounded to the many. 16, one sin was condemnation. One gift came from many offenses. The result was justification. Maybe we'll get through this. Ratios and proportions. Let me ask a question. Um, is this in proportion? Yeah. Two is to eight, is two is to four. Okay, what's the answer? 16. So that's in proportion. Now here's another one. One is to 80 as 80 is to 6,400. Is this in proportion? Hmm? Yes, it is. The answer is 6,400. Now, 1 is to 80 as 80 is to E. Is this in proportion? Whoops. <laughs> oh, I gave the answer. <laughs> Some people use that. What's E? <laughs> and then I'm able to press the next button, but I messed up here. But eternity is the other element. This is so far out of proportion, it cannot be measured. And this is what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with ratios and proportions. What Christ did is so far out of proportion to what the devil done, has done to us, we can't even equate it. Is that good news? <laughs> Absolutely. So, it is with the gift of God's grace as compared to sin. God's act of grace is out of all proportion to Adam's wrongdoing. For if the wrongdoing of that one man brought death upon so many... Its effect is vastly exceeded by the grace of God and the gift that came to so many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. So the principles, we need to stop on this one. The principles of the Declaration of Independence and the three angels' messages are centered in the government of God and revealed to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. Shall we pray? Thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness to us. You treat us all the time better than we deserve. May our hearts respond to your everlasting love. And may we not just respond to it intellectually, but allow it to dwell within our hearts. That Christ might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.